Well, hello there. This is Joanne Dennison, CMP, welcoming you to an, another, let me get my words right here, another edition of uh, Sit in the Attendee's Chair. And today with me in this podcast, we've got Kelly. Kelly at microphone one and yep. running the controls. She was trying to give me a crash course for any time she won't be here. Um, and at microphone number two, we have Steve the Great or STG. Courtesy of Devin. Devin. Yeah. The Devonsker. Yes. <laughs> oh, she'll love the this. The Devin machine. So first of all, I, I want to talk, um, we're now recording, uh, I forget how many we've recorded now or in the process of recording. We're up somewhere around 10 now. Um, and they, they don't necessarily get posted in the order we record them in. We're trying to make sure they're timely and, and relevant uh, if they're time sensitive and kind of mix up topics and styles so uh, you don't feel like you've listened to the same thing three times in a row. But one of the things I did want to remind you of is uh, looking for feedback. Uh, you know, uh, is is this – and thank you so much for those of you who have texted and emailed and called and told me, ah, oh, I just came back from my power walk and it was so great. It was the first one I listened to or, um, oh, I love this topic on this and – would you consider these five topics? Yes, we will always consider topics. I'm, I'm holding on to all that kind of feedback that I'm getting. Uh, they may not be a topic by themselves, but hopefully the, the question or point will begin, uh, be integrated into uh, one of the topics somewhere along the way. This morning I received one uh, from someone who actually will be a guest on the show in the next five or six weeks. And uh, I loved it. She was driving to work, and she was listening to her first one, and she says, I love it. Um, you know, I feel like I'm having a conversation with you. In fact, I'm talking back to you. So I thought that was a hoot, and I loved it. And, um, you know, I hope, I hope it's working for you on some point. And if you decide not to listen, I'm not insulted. Just kind of try to put things out there for people in different formats, whether it be social media, whether it be videos, whether it be the podcast, whether it be the e-guide newslettery thing, um, so that whatever works for you is hopefully out there for you. Um, strikes me I was going to go somewhere before I jumped into the topic, but since I've forgotten what that is, you know how if, if you've ever sat in a presentation or class with me, you know it may wander back in time, and then I will sidebar and, and we'll go discuss that and then come back to the original topic because I sometimes have to do that. But I made the decision to talk today because I thought, I don't think I've really talked about this in any kind of depth, and I think it's really important that I do so. And that is my concept of sit in the attendee's chair. I figure if we've named the podcast this, and I talk about it all the time, and there is actually a visual created around it. In fact, we're on version two with the ver visual um, that I should talk about it in depth more than um, just breezing by it and alluding to it at times. So first of all, if you want a visual version of this, not the podcast, of sit in the attendee's chair, uh, you can either go on my LinkedIn profile and it's under documents, or uh, you, 
you can always email me and I'm glad to send you one because version two we actually created with the help of a wonderful, wonderful graphic designer, illustrationist who does uh, a lot of um, my major work by the name of Shelby Criswell, designed it in as a chair. And the chair is actually part of the graphic, so I'm pretty excited about that. And actually that idea, because I, I like to give credit to people, came from Caitlin Barry Brown, CMP, who uh, about a year and a half ago brought me a, a picture. She had been in some of my classes, and she brought me a picture of Maslow's hierarchy, which it's built around, being done on a profile of a human head. And I said, well, obviously I can't use this one because it's copyrighted material, and we know I'm a little fanatical about that. And we will be talking about copyrighted material on a future, if not more than one future podcast. But I thought, hmm, never really thought about doing it as anything other than the pyramid triangle thing. So that led to this. So if you would like a, a visual of it, again, you can go to my LinkedIn profile and download it from the documents, or you can email me, and I'm glad to send it to you. Uh, so sit in the attendee's chair. It came by accident, to be perfectly honest. Um, and actually, my, my attachment to Maslow came by accident. And uh, I have a very strange memory. Anyone who knows me well will tell you this. So I can tell you where I was, who I was speaking to, et cetera, et cetera. I had been asked to speak for the New Jersey Society of Association Executives. And this would probably be around... 2007, I'm going to say, maybe between 2005 and 2008. So we'll go with 2007. And uh, Marcy Horowitz, who was the executive director of that organization and the executive director for uh, MPI, Meeting Professionals International New Jersey, she had asked me to come and speak to them on meetings, uh, creating meetings and events. So we talked a little bit, and I thought, okay, what do association execs need to know about meetings. What what can I teach them or share with them that they don't already know? Um, so I said to her, how about if I do a presentation based around how to make your meetings better without spending more money? Because associations are always you know, trying to figure out how to you know keep within their budget and everything like that. She said, done. So I can't remember actually what I called it. Um, I don't know if it, I don't think it was called sit in the attendee's chair at the beginning. Eventually it evolved into that. But anyway, so I, I think it was actually called something about how to plan, me how to plan better meetings without spending more money or, or something very direct like that. So I'm in this conference center in Princeton, New Jersey, that was attached to then Merrill Lynch, now BlackRock, and that conference center has gone through a lot of uh, different uh, versions of itself, so I don't remember actually which one it was at that point. But I'm talking to them, and I, uh, what I was focusing this presentation around is, for those of you who have been involved in the CMP process especially, what used to be called the three principles of meeting planning. And so it's the whole concept of set to the long side of the room, no straight rows, uh, no center aisle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as I'm talking to them and I'm talking about, uh, you know, 
thinking about the attendee and how it feels like and why would we do this and why would it be better for the attendee and da 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 da. Um, most of you probably know I don't really do a whole lot with notes when I do presentations. Um, nope, that's not me. Uh, someone's phone is bringing in emails. I'm guessing it's Steve's, even though he's, you know, pointing at me. So anyway, back to this. So, you know, I'm trying to talk about how, you know, it's so important that we make things better for the attendees and how do we do it and how we can do these small manageable things without spending a gazillion dollars to do it. And for some reason, Maslow popped into my head. Now you have to understand I took no psychology courses in college, sociology co courses, you know, anything that it would have been heavily studied or, you know, the most I probably ever had in my life was some brief allusion to it in a class or something I read, but I always thought it was really, really interesting. And I said, I remember standing there and flipping my flip chart, yep, yep, flip chart thing has been around for a while. And, and drawing the triangle and going, remember Maslow and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I remembered the first one was basic needs. And from there, this whole thing has taken off. So anyway, that's how it came to be. And eventually uh, it, it drifted into um, sitting in the attendee's chair because what I was trying to get people to understand is perspective and point of view, which I think a lot of the work I do is around those two things in both parts of my business perspective and point of view, but how we we need to plan the meetings from the attendees' point of view and therefore sit in their chair and how different that is than when you're sitting in your cubicle looking at what looks really good on paper. I thought today I'd, I'd walk you through, so it was probably, oh wow, how many years later? Five, six, seven years later at least, because I think 2015, was the first time that I ha actually had a graphic and thought, okay, there's got to be more here. You know, I keep alluding to it. It kept coming up, the conversation. And I thought, let me really sit down and look at Maslow's hierarchy in detail and go, does this really pertain to meetings or am I, is this all in my own head here? So that's what um, what I did. And what I began to realize as I went through the uh, the tiers the, of, of his hierarchy is that it pertained far more than I even realized it did because I was looking at it at the most basic level. So let's talk about Maslow for a minute. Is that what you brought up on your phone? Everybody says Maslow. Mm -hmm. <coughs> he has a first name. Mm -hmm. Know what it is? Abraham. Very good. Ab did you see that? It's on my, oh, my thing. Abraham. 1943 Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow. <laughs> he actually he was born, uh, in, born in Brooklyn, New York in 1908, the oldest of seven children. Undergrad was at University of Wisconsin, but he taught at Brandeis and Columbia, and he married his one and only wife, who was his first cousin, Bertha. Mm. Just a little background on Maslow, comma, oh. Abraham. Okay. So he ended up at Brandeis? So he was here in Massachusetts, or he, he ended up at Columbia? Is <coughs> he did research at both. At both. Mm -hmm. So obviously he was a researcher, and, you know, what were his degrees actually in? Psychology. Well, no, that <laughs> do, you don't assume anything because I sometimes assume. the most brilliant ideas assume. So. Thank you. And sometimes the most brilliant ideas come from someone actually a step out of mm -hmm. what they end up having the most impact from because they have a different perspective. Mm -hmm. They see things differently. I don't think he studied tax history, so. 
Really? I'm mm-hmm. shocked at that. No tax, huh? He actually uh, went to law school for a while and dropped out, said that wasn't for him. So um, he, he attended Cornell for a while and didn't like that either. And he died in Menlo City, California, not Menlo Park, New Jersey. Hmm. Thomas Alva Edison. Yes. Yes. I know it well. Um, so if you're not familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I'm sure every single one of you have at least know it exists. Again, it's been alluded to in some class, some movie or TV show you've watched, some book you've read, etc. Basically, he was called, uh, he, it's titled A Theory of Human Motivation. Uh, 1943 was when he came out with it. And um, his theory is, is that there's five tiers. This is how I explain it, not how any kind of researcher or academic uh, would explain it. But this is how I absorbed it even probably, you know, before I got involved in this, is there's five stages to our personal growth is, is the way he looked at it. And um, you start with the most basic needs and the top tier is called self-actualization, which I identify as being the best possible version of you you can, you know, physically, mentally, um, emotionally, and eventually he did add a spiritual component to it a, a number of years after he did the original thing. But it's about, it, you know, how do you become the best person you need to be? How do you meet these needs, uh, you know, to be motivated to move to the next level? So what his point is with the five levels is until your needs are fully met on that level, you cannot really go to the next level. So the first one is basic physical needs. And how I identify with that in meetings and events is a lot of uh, the chairs that I was talking to them about that day. If people cannot see, cannot hear what's going on in a room, they check out. And I mean, I could do the whole show just on basic needs and how we don't pay enough attention to it. And I've been really sad to see over the past 15, 20 years how Everyone talks strategic media management, strategic media. I'm a strategy. I, I don't do logistics. I only do strategy. I don't want to do logistics. I, I will, I very firmly believe that we have to be strategic about the logistics. And this is partially why. Because again, if people can't see the presentation, if people can't hear the presentation, if people are in some way physically uncomfortable, you have lost them, partially or completely. So, examples of this, um, you know, I'm hungry when you're, you know, or actually the one I use the most often is the whole thing about what is the number one complaint in our meetings and events. And it is? Is it the room temperature? Yes. Okay. (laughs) I'm cold. That is, and apparently worldwide, because even when I was in Bangkok and they had it set at like 80 degrees and I was dying, they were all talking about how cold it was. And from talking to people, this is pretty much universally the number one complaint. Uh, Room temperature primarily, I'm too cold. So here's what happens to me when I'm cold. I'm sorry for those of you who have heard this story before. I have a voice that starts and goes, I'm cold. So I go back to what I'm doing and everything. And eventually it goes, I'm cold. I'm cold. I'm cold until it's finally going, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. And I can't 
think or absorb anything else. So this happens to our attendees, and I know you've seen it happen. Um, I remember being at one uh, National Speakers Association conference uh, where Christine Cashin uh, came out draped in on main stage in tablecloths. Uh, of course, she said she was dressed in tablecloth, but um, awesome speaker, by the way. Um, but she had, she I believe she was co-chair that year of the convention. She had them run tablecloths out to us so we could wrap ourselves in it because the room was so cold. So people do check out. It's probably one of the biggest things that ends up on social media, that shows up on any kind of evaluation. If people are cold or hot, if they are uncomfortable, we've lost them. They are not paying as much attention or full attention to whatever's going on. But it's other things, too. It's like, and, and I have this on this visual that you have, I'm hungry. What happens when your stomach starts growling? You start feeling uncomfortable. Then you, I'm always worried that my stomach's going to talk louder than the person who's speaking. Um, I can sometimes have a very, very loud stomach. Um, and, you know, so if people aren't, are hungry, and which means not only do we need to feed them at appropriate times, but we need to feed them food that will, you know, solve the problem. So it's got to be stuff they can truly eat. Uh, we've lost them. Same thing with they're thirsty or they need a break because they need to go to the restroom. Um, maybe they're physically uncomfortable because the chair is uncomfortable. Not to say anything, but we know ballroom chairs are some of the most uncomfortable chairs in the world to sit in for any length of time. Uh, so in that case, literally, you know, when you're doing a site visit, do you sit in the chairs? Have you tried sitting in the chairs? Are we going to lose people because they're physically uncomfortable? And again, I can't see, can't hear, when's the break? All of that falls under basic physical needs. If we are not meeting people's physical needs and people blow this off, if we are not meeting them, if, if they're any of those things, hungry, thirsty, cold, physically uncomfortable, we are losing their attention, they are not learning as much, and we are throwing ROI out the window all the time. And that's why I think we have to be very strategic about our logistics. And that's everything from room setups, uh, screen placement, what's on the screen. I want to just lose it when a speaker says, I know you can't read what's on the screen. Well, don't put it up there. If you know, you're basically telling me I'm putting this up, but it's not important enough to make it so you can read it. No, there should never be anything on a screen that people can't read. Either you need to do your AV differently or your speakers need to put different stuff up on the screen. All of that causes a loss of ROI. So when people say, oh, well, I don't do logistics, I only do strategy, they're missing a huge part of the puzzle. So we've... We've fulfilled people's basic needs. We've got them, you know, whether we've given them blankets. Some of you who were in my classes when we were still face-to-face, -face, you all got blankets from me to keep. Why? For this reason, because I watched people freeze sometimes, and I didn't always have control over what the temperature was in the room. So a lot of you now have travel blankets that I know you keep under your desk or all kinds of places to, to go with you. Um so we've got people now comfortable, well-fed, they're not having to worry about any of those things, and they're ready to roll. 
So this moves them up to the next tier of Maslow's hierarchy, which ironically, and boy, I'll tell you, over the past couple of years, I have thought about this so, so much, because the second level is safety. So when I was working on this the first time, which was six years ago in 2015, and then, uh, you know, when I redid it, actually, the very beginning of 2020, I think I redid this right before the pandemic started. But in 2015, I thought, oh, interesting, security, because I was attending active shooter presentations like a couple times of a year. That was one of the big topics at industry events, and for good reason. So I thought, then I thought, okay, you know, people need to feel like it's safe to come to my meeting. And this is still something we need to think about on multiple. And if you go back to one of my earlier first or second podcasts, I talk about this with, you know, disgruntled employees. People have had a time to year and a half to sit around and think about how much they hate the company that fired them. So we're back to, unfortunately, violence again. Um, and also, you know, the pandemic safety. So when I did wrote this out, what I did was I, I wrote out what I thought an attendee would be saying or thinking if they were, I'm going to say, stuck on that level. So again, with basic physical needs, it's I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, it's too cold, it's too hot, yep, et cetera, et cetera. For safety, when I really read about what he talked about, he talked about safety more than, safety and security, really, more than just the physical safety, like, let's say, active shooters. So... Um, they'd be saying things like, I don't want to go there. So you've probably met people who don't want to travel to another country or maybe don't want to travel to a city. They don't live in a city. They're not comfortable going into a big city because a lot of people who haven't spent a lot of time in cities frequently think that they're extremely violent, which sadly some are and maybe more so right now. Um, so they don't want to go because it's in the city or it's in another country. Although I've met people f who have lived their whole life in a city who are very uncomfortable in rural situations, um, uh, too, because of all the animals. But I don't want to go there. I don't want to fly might be something else people are thinking. And having watched what happened, one, I've overcome a fear of flying at least three times in my life. Um, and uh, the last one being after 9-11. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons. And here we are at the time of the pandemic, and a lot of people don't want to fly. Uh, and as I read somewhere the other day, someone said, I feel like I'm going to be in a living Petri dish. Now, I'm not saying everyone feels that way, but again, we have to, I don't know which order you will have listened to another podcast, but we did one uh, on the word all. You know, so don't assume that all your your attendees are willing to get on a plane, but don't assume all of them aren't willing to get on a plane. So I don't want to fly. I might get sick. Wow. Okay, I wrote this six years ago, but I mean, sickness is always an an issue. Uh, water, food. Heck, meetings and conferences have been hit with everything from the Legionnaires disease which was like the first really big one i don't even think i was in the industry do you know what year that was 80 something look up legionnaire's disease tell me what year that was okay. i think it was in atlanta if i remember right and the american legion was having a big citywide conference and one of the hotels 
all these people got sick, and it turned out it was through the air filtration system. Well, maybe they weren't filtered. Maybe that was the problem. But the air circulating system, and so you probably heard Legionnaire's disease and not even know what it was. But, of course, it was a meeting and an event that it happened at. Um, because let's face it, you know, a meeting and event where a lot of people who don't know each other coming from different backgrounds, having traveled – uh, in that case, it happened to be the building, and it changed the way buildings, air filtration, especially the air conditioning systems, were uh, done. Um, so that's what that is about. So you could get sick from a lot of things, and let's face it, something like a meeting or event, you know, a special event, they're going to get all the publicity or a cruise. That seems to be, you know, where if something goes wrong, um, it's going to be picked up in the media. But it also goes on to things like I shouldn't spend the money, the safety and security of how will it affect my finances? You know, if I spend it to go to that meeting or event, you know, how will it affect everything else in my life? You find Legionnaires? 1976, the <gasps> American Legion ago. Convention in Philadelphia, PA. Philadelphia, why did I think it was there Atlanta? There is no vaccine for this. No, because it's, yeah, it's, it's, completely it's not a virus it's a bacteria that mm -hmm. you they still it still exists they oh yeah estimated eight to eight to eighteen thousand cases a year i know in the past two years i saw where there was an outbreak of legionnaire's disease and it's through the air cooling system is that correct that's part of it yes it's yeah. normally found in Freshwater contaminate hot water tanks, hot tubs, cooling towers of large air conditioners, usually spread by breathing in the mist. So, okay, I definitely wasn't, I, I mean, I've been around a long time, but I trust me, I was not planning meetings and events in 1976. Sure. But, no, I wasn't. You might have been. Yes, yeah. Um... So I might get sick. I shouldn't spend the money. That's where I was. Uh, the whole idea of, you know, how's it going to affect my security if I spend the money by going to this meeting and event? Uh, my financial security the rest of my life. Or even there's going to be too many people there. And again, that could go back to violence. That could go back to disease. And also, a lot of people are just not really comfortable with really large groups of people. Um, for lots of reasons. So uh, that's, that's where they would be, where their mindset, what they might be saying, what their excuses are. Um, uh, valid, I'm not saying invalid excuses, but that's something to think about. What are people seeing as a safety or security risk to potentially attend your meeting and event? And again, I spoke about this on one of the first podcasts about at this time, you know, why we are still in the pandemic and everything I've been reading in the past couple of days is basically what's going to happen is in the next period of time, we are going to learn how to live with, with COVID, um, which is a very interesting thought in many ways. So let's say we've fulfilled, we've got everyone feeling safe and secure enough, they come the next uh, thing is the feeling of belonging. I belong there. And we've all been in that situation where we're going somewhere new, like moving to Massachusetts mm -hmm. and starting grad school with nobody you yeah. know, and then not even really being able to see them because everyone's on a screen. Mm -hmm. That had to 
run through your mind a few times, mm-hmm. like I don't belong here, I'm yeah. guessing. Let's <laughs> put this way, I felt that way going on campus, you know, just mm-hmm. like, uh, do I even belong here? Um, but that sense of belonging, and you know, how many times do you avoid going to a networking event or joining a new organization or volunteering or deciding to attend something because you think, oh, what if I don't belong there? What if I don't feel included? What if it's too clicky? One of my favorites. So uh, one thing they might be thinking is, I don't know anyone. I don't belong. It's clickish. They're not friendly. I don't feel welcome. Uh, this one, and it is, and I think guys run into this too, maybe not as much as women, but um, I don't know what to wear. But I think even in this day and age, you know, because wardrobe, and I've been reading so many articles about how wardrobe is changing since the pandemic and since quarantine, since lockdown, that even casual business attire is going to be taken down a peg, that people are not going to go up to what it was in the office, that office attire will will change even from what it was. Um, but these are all, you know, you feel like you don't stand out. Right now there's a, a great commercial uh, for one of the mobile phone companies online where she shows up to a formal business dinner at a very formal restaurant and she's dressed in you know renaissance attire because of a you know mistaken message and you know I think we've all felt like that at some point where um, we walk in and go yeah okay this probably isn't what I should have worn you know and uh, you know sometimes you just own it and you go with it and that's the best thing to do because then people just think you're super cool because you can own whatever you're wearing Um, but what are you doing to create people really feeling like they are belong? And, you know, I'm not a big person, honestly, in traditional icebreakers. And, but what are you doing to make people feel welcome and encouraged to come? A lot of places set up buddy systems and mentors. And, uh, but how do you break the clicks? You know, what does the board do? Do, you know, how do people interact with people? And I think that's really important because if people feel like they don't belong, they don't come back. So if you're, especially a meeting or event where you're trying to sell it and convince people to go, you want them to feel like they belong there. And if it's a, what I call the registered or be fired meetings where they have to go, if they go to a work event and feel like they don't belong there, they will leave the organization. So we need to create a genuine sense of belonging and you need to take those things into consideration as you're planning is that, you know, how do people get to know people? You know, with all the technology we have, people can get to know people even before the event happens if you create that catalyst. Um, How can people feel like they belong? What can you truly do? And again, icebreakers, traditional icebreakers are not necessarily the answer. Sometimes, gotta know your attendees. Um... You know, how do you break the clicks up? You know, oh, those are the cool kids, but they don't talk to anyone else. Or that's the board, and they don't talk to anyone else. Uh, Whatever it is, um, how do you make people feel more friendly, warm, open, included, and like they belong? So the next year above that is um, 
esteem and how uh, he defined esteem is acceptance of values amongst others. Uh, so people accepting you as you and everything you bring to the table. So what happens when we have, well, first strong self-esteem. Ironically, sometimes our self-esteem we allow ourselves or it's caused by other people's perception of us. If other people, uh, what am I trying to say here? If other people give us affirmations, give us confidence, our self-confidence increases and our self-esteem increases. And we automatically feel better being there. And we feel pumped and we feel motivated and we want to come back like, oh my gosh, I got to talk to all these people and I had so many interesting conversations and, you know, I'm going to connect with this person after we leave. And, um, you know, it's that they were accepted. They were accepted. Um, and what I wrote down for what people are thinking when they hit to that level is I'm going to every event. You know, this is when... Um, we frequently say, uh, you know, especially in, um, I think of when I think of like membership organizations, especially in professional associations, you know, they drank the Kool-Aid, which is a horrible expression that we really should get out of our vocabulary because most people are too young to remember where it came from. And it's actually a horrible, terrible, tragic story. And somehow this has become this thing that we say like, oh yeah, they drank the Kool-Aid. Like this is a good thing. And the originated story is really, really not. It's terrible. Um, but we still do use the term. So, you know, I know in different things I've belonged to, we've talked about that. Oh yeah, they've drank the Kool-Aid. They're now a volunteer. They're moving up through leadership. They're going to end up being a lifetime member because even when they're pissed off, they're not going to quit, um, things like that. So they're the ones that say, I'm going to every event. And I have been this person in many organizations. I'm going to every event. I would do things. I would spend money I shouldn't have because it was so much a core part of who I was. I felt I needed to be there. Um, they also would be thinking, I like people I've met. I'm going to volunteer. You want to know how to get your volunteers? That's what it is. You meet their basic physical needs. They feel safe. They feel like they belong. That's when they volunteer. They feel like they're part of it. They've been accepted. Um, in fact, the next thing I have written down is, I feel a part of this. And what so many people want to hear, I can't wait to come back next year. Steve, did you have something you wanted to add? You looked like you did. I always <coughs> enjoy coming to the podcast. That was it? That was it. I go to a lot of tax conferences uh, mm -hmm. for all those same reasons, because there's other tax people there who understand <laughs> and appreciate the same things I do. And you feel like you belong. Yes. Except when you're causing trouble at them. Yes. But that's not about tax. That's usually about the organization. Sometimes. Sometimes. What about you, Kelly? Think about things that you've belonged to or <coughs> things well, like that. Even at, her, at your first, be honest, at your first MPI event, did you feel like you belonged? <laughs> it was all new people. Um, I mean, no, not when I first got there, but then after talking to everyone and everyone was like, so welcoming and nice. Oh, good. So I definitely, at the end, I felt like 
very comfortable. Good. I remember you and Pauline both saying, mm-hmm. we want to be part of this. Yes. We want, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's really important. And, uh, you know, the fact that you did get to talk to a lot of people and it was our first face-to-face event. And the event we're referring to was in June, end of June, the MPI New England was the first face-to-face event they had had since February of 2020, and it was the installation of officers at and Fenway Park. And it was at Fenway Park because our uh, current president of the chapter, who took office that night, uh, Kate Page, CNP. Yes, she's one of mine. I'm very proud of her, as I am proud of all of my CNPs. Um, she uh, she works. At Fenway, she works for Fenway uh, special events, and and they were gracious enough to uh, hold it for us. Uh, it was a real heat wave we were going through mm-hmm. the, at that time, and we were outside, but it was still an awesome event. And I was so pleased to be able to one. Honestly, I was so excited to be able to go see my peers. We were fully vaccinated by that point, and um, you know, be in Fenway and see all these people I hadn't seen in person in, in a year and a half, and I was thrilled to be able to take Pauline and uh, Kelly uh, to their first MPI meeting as, as young professionals. And yeah, I, I, I go to watch the other planners separate the knives, forks, and spoons <laughs> into neat little piles on the clearing trays when it's not their event. You also go for the bar and sometimes the food. Oh, yeah. Food's always good there at yeah. any MPI event. They know how to do it. Yep. Yes. Yep. I like it. You like it. So then those are the four, and the fifth would be um, the self-actualization that I was telling you about. And this is, uh, again, about reaching someone's full potential. Some people say living with purpose. Again, I think of it as being the best version of you you can be. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and many would say spiritually, as he, like I said, he added that later on. So what I see someone thinking if they're there when they leave a meeting or event, um, it's about this experience changed me. And I hope every single one of you can give a meeting or event that made you say that, hopefully for the positive. Uh, you know, that it really made you walk out going, I am different than when I walked in. You know, uh, because of all these other things being met, um, I have written down, I've learned so much, and it was worth my time and money. So the individual is seeing the ROI already. And this is how you get the people who come back year after year who will plan other things about it, who are really in, who bring 10 of their friends, you know, um, it's, it's about making them truly feel like the experience changed me. And some of you know, one of my favorite questions when we're planning or when I'm speaking, I ask my clients the same thing. What do you want people to think or do differently when they leave your meeting or event? And because we want change, there's no no good reason for people to come to the meeting or event and not walk away changed. All you've done is spend a lot of money and gone through a lot of food and, and a bar tab. Uh, nobody should come to an event and not walk away changed. Otherwise, 
either they shouldn't have been there because they were the wrong fit for who you were targeting or we didn't do as good of a job as we could. So that's what sit in the attendee's chair is about. You know, if you really work through every level of Maslow, that's how I see that happening. And to me, this is very important. And I do sit when I'm talking to someone or planning with someone or speaking or teaching or creating a product or something. I want you to look at this from the attendee's point of view. What is it like to experience what you think is an awesome meeting or event if you are the attendee? Sit in their chair. And how does it actually look, feel, smell, taste, etc., uh, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, et cetera. It will give you a very, very different perspective than what you're seeing sitting at your cubicle or now maybe from your dining room table or your new home office or whatever it is always thinking about them. Um, at some point, we'll talk about some of the other things like food and beverage, but that is the core of what I'm talking about when I say sit in the attendee's chair. Like an enhanced site visit where you're concerned with more than square footage. Mm -hmm. sit, sit in the attendee's chair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See how you think your, your group is going to feel. Yeah. yeah. Is it the right... <coughs> you know, a room is a room is a room is not. You know, uh, I mean, it could it be everything from the decor and the colors to the size to how you're going to have it set up to what city it's in or what geographical location um, to what the food is going to be like to experience the food to the speaker and what is it going to be like to experience that speaker and can they see or hear them? Um, yeah. And the room's not cold. And the room's not cold. Or you have blankets there for them, or they know to dress in layers, no matter how many times we put in the material. Remember, the meeting rooms are cold. Dress in layers. You know, but it's 95 degrees outside, and the women show up in, you know, sleeveless, sleeveless shirts and, you know, cute capris or a dress and they're freezing the whole time uh so definitely thoughts on this kelly not really <laughs> <laughs> she gets so much of me she's like you think i haven't heard this a few I hundred times i remember um having a whole class about it um well the i think it was probably the first or second one class of the first of ones yeah class yeah i'm talking about it so again um the last podcast I recorded, and I think I'm going to start talking about this at, at all of them, my goal for the podcast is for you hopefully to learn something. Again, it might be from me. It might be from something else I bring from somewhere else. Uh, think, you know, how does this apply to you? How does it apply to your life? How does it apply to your meetings and events, your organization? And then... Uh, well, that's the application, you know, thinking, processing it, and then up actually applying it. Uh, how do you make changes? What do you leave the same based on what you learn and, and thought about? So hopefully, and again, if you want one, just email me. We don't have the, the printed cards that we used to because this came out at the beginning of the pandemic and nobody's getting printed anything. So, but I can send you a PDF so you can print it yourself. 
I of the chair, Maslow's of the chair, chair. Of the Maslow chair, or as like it applies to meetings. Yep. Yes. Uh, and again, it's also on my LinkedIn profile under documents. So I hope that was something interesting to think about. Um, uh, again, you know, always things coming out on social media, on the e-guide, uh, which if you're not on the list, you can text meet guide, all one word, to... 22828. And it comes out right now approximately every two weeks. Um, also, look at the website if you need any information about CMP, how to get to the free videos, the upcoming classes, and the CMP prep to go um, that we created also. And, and look at all your other videos. Uh, YouTube's and uh, the podcast and all your other videos are on YouTube. Yep. So they yep. have 50 more videos to choose from approximately <laughs> as well. Yes, true. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Um, really appreciate you tuning in. Again, if you have uh, any feedback, text, email me, whatever. If you have any ideas of topics you would like to see, where I'm really beginning to line up uh, a lot of guests that will be coming out through September, October on a wide variety of topics. Um, and so you don't have to just listen to me for the entire time. Uh, but really looking forward to, you know, I've heard you, you know, questions about virtual meetings, sustainability, uh, food and beverage. So I think some really interesting people coming up that you'll enjoy hearing our conversations. So on behalf of myself and... Kelly. Kelly. No, that's okay, because I kind of gave you a... So goodbye from me, I should say. Poor thing. I just, like, threw her... Like, it didn't make any sense what I said to her. So goodbye from me. And from Kelly. <laughs> goodbye. And this is Steve the Great Listeners, reminding you to tell Mom and them about this podcast. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. <laughs>